Amen, friends. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Luke 10. Luke 10 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning. And we started this last Sunday. Last Sunday, we ended a series in Psalm 90. Eight weeks. We were in Psalm 90 for eight weeks. And we ended it last Sunday. And I couldn't quite let it go. I said last week, uh, we're, it's going to take two weeks for us to unpack this last idea. What we've been talking about for the past few weeks is the work of God in our work, right? Um, so at the end of Psalm 90, in verse 16, uh, the prayer is, show us the work of your hands. Let, let your work be shown to your servants. I want to see what you're doing. I want to see what God's doing around me. Show me what you're doing in my life. Show me what you're doing in the lives of my family, my friends, my co I want to see what you're doing around me. Show me your work, right? And then he says this, he says, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Let's join in your work. I, I want to be a part of your work. I want meaning and significance and purpose in my life. And I know that's not found in the things that I build or create. It's found in you and what you are doing. So I want to join in your work. I want to join in your work. God is constantly at work. He's always working around us. He's always doing things. He's doing infinite things, things that we can't even begin to imagine he's doing. He is sustaining all life, right? But he doesn't invite us into every work he's doing. Praise the Lord, right? He's not going to invite you to regulate the temperature of the sun, okay? That's his job, not your job, all right? Praise the Lord. You would jack that up, okay? I, w- I would jack that up. I would, it would be way, right? You can't even decide what temperature the thermostat should be under, in your house, Right? You, like your wife's going to be like, no, it's got to be at this level. And you're like, no, 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 turn it down a little bit. And you'd kill us all. That's what would happen if you regulated the temperature of the sun. But he does invite us into his work. He does invite us into his work, okay? He invites us into the work of what we said last week, the, the work of hearts and souls. The work of hearts and souls. Jesus is constantly working. The God of all things is constantly working on hearts and souls. He's working in the lives of people who, who know him or followers of Jesus, right? This Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us and he's working in us to create in us Christ's likeness, to transform us from one degree of glory to another into his likeness, to make us more like him. And he's constantly working on those who do not know him yet. Our friends, our family who do not know Jesus, he is working on them. He's wooing them and pursuing them with his grace, with his love, with his mercy, his kindness, wooing them to himself that they might know him and then become like him and join with him in the worship of his glory for all eternity with great joy, okay? He's constantly working in us and on us, in our hearts and in our souls, constantly at work. Last week, we read this text from Luke 10, 2. It's a well-known verse. At least the first half of it is, right? The first half reads this way. It says, And he, Jesus, said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You've probably heard that before. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, pray earnestly to the, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus here, he, he's sending out the 72. There's this moment where he's, he's raised up these 72 men and he's going to send them out to kind of prepare these different cities and towns and villages for his arrival, for his coming, um, to kind of, kind of get the groundwork ready for him. And he says, I mean, the, I mean, the, the, the harvest is plentiful. There's so much out there, but the, the laborers are few. There's not, there's not many to actually work it. So therefore, right, last week we talked about this. Therefore, pray earnestly. This is what the job that he invites us into. I said last week that um, prayer is our preeminent responsibility in evangelism. We will cultivate the harvest through prayer, 
or it will not be cultivated at all, okay? The first thing that Jesus says is pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, to pray for laborers. That is our job, to pray earnestly for laborers, that we be people on our knees every day. Father, give us more laborers. Give us more laborers in my neighborhood. Give, me more, give us more laborers in my place of work. Give me more laborers in my state. Give us more laborers in this person's life or that person's life. This is the person that I love and I want them to know you. Put more laborers in their life. Pray earnestly for laborers. That is the call in our life, to pray earnestly for laborers. And friends, it is the preeminent act of evangelism. It's the first thing we must do, and it is the most important thing we must do, because this is ultimately his work. He is the one who is working on people, not, not you. You will not save anyone. You will not redeem anyone. This is his work. However, I want, here's what I want to do today. I said last week, that's what we unpacked last week. If you want to hear more about that, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon. Today, I want to go on and see what happens next. What does Jesus say next to these, these 72? In the very next verse, in verse 3, Jesus says this. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. You are going to be laborers. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I know not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus, not everybody watching online is a follower of Jesus, but if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus, you are going to be laborers. Yes, pray for laborers, but I'm sending you out. Go your way. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you. You're going to be a laborer, right? Now, some of us think, no, 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 I'm not a laborer, right? I'm kind of the guy that does the, I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll finance the project, Okay. I'm not a laborer, but I'll pray for it. I'll pray for the harvest, but I'm not going to labor it. Jesus says, no, 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 we are laborers. Go your own way. I'm sending you out. Yes, you pray, but you pray while you go. We are not just prayers. We are also laborers. I want to back up for a minute. We talked about that a lot last week, this idea of laborers. But what is, what in, in the most basic form, in the most basic sense, what describes a laborer? What word comes to mind? Work. Yeah. Work. Part of following Jesus is working. Now, not working to, again, we have to, we have to be careful. I don't want to confuse anybody. Not working to earn anything. You ain't going to get a wage for this, right? You're not going to get paid. Right? The grace has already been given fully and completely to you. It's all grace. In response to that grace work. Get after it. I'm sending you out. If we want to join God in his work, right, we want him to establish the work of our hands, right, there's going to be some work here. And the work that we want him to establish is this work, the work of going out, the work of laboring for him, right? I want to join with him in his work because that's where meaning and purpose and significance is going to be found. Laboring, laboring with him. Now remember, he is the Lord of the harvest. He sits over the harvest. He is sovereign over the harvest. He is in complete control over the harvest. We are just the laborers. We are the ones who are serving him. We are the laborers in the harvest. He's looking for laborers, not pastors, not priests, laborers. People who would say, man, I will labor when I step into my office on Monday morning, I become a laborer. When I'm at home with my kids, I'm a laborer for the Lord. 
When I'm out and about in my neighborhood, I'm a laborer for the Lord. When I'm, when I'm participating in my kids' sporting events or activities, I'm a laborer for the Lord. When I'm, when I'm participating in a hobby that I'm a part of with, with a club or a group of people, I'm a, I'm a laborer. When I'm out at a restaurant, and I'm engaging with the server, the waiter, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a laborer. I'm at Starbucks. I'm talking to the barista. I'm a laborer. My wife and I, Desiree, we've been doing this thing over the past few weeks. Um, we, we realized um, that n- no one like, engages anymore in anything, ever. Like, ever. It's crazy, right? So we realized, man, everybody does self-checkout. And, and it's kind of nice because you don't have to talk to anybody. It's kind of nice. Like, you pump your gas. You don't have to go in and, like, talk. It's, it's kind of nice. But then you realize... What the heck are we doing? Like we've, we've lost the ability to like communicate to people. And so we've like sworn that off. Like we're no longer going to uh, do self-checkout. We're going to try to engage. Uh, Desiree set the goal of like five people every day to like actually engage in a conversation with them. And it's been awkward, I'll tell you. It's been, there's been some weird moments over the past couple weeks. Uh, but it's been amazing. But like just remembering and reminding ourselves when you're calling, hey, even now, even now as I, as I go through the checkout line, instead of going through that, what's much shorter over there, there's nobody in line, but I'm going to wait in this line. I'm going to have to talk to this person. I'm a laborer. I'm a, I'm a laborer. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves and laborers. What is the work? What are we laboring in? Laboring in. Uh, I like how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, listen, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? What is the ministry of reconciliation? Well, look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. It's our job title. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to become reconciled to God. (coughs) Excuse me. Right? I love this text because it gives us a clear picture of what the work is, what God's work is, and how we join with him in that work, this work that he has given us, this laboring that he has given us. There's a few things I just want to draw your attention to in, in that passage real quick. Number one is this. Every saint is a minister, right? He has given us the ministry of reconciliation, right? So you've, you've, you've been given really a job description, right? The ministry of reconciliation, right? That this is, this is what we are. We are ministers. Like the word minister gets confused with like kind of somebody who gets paid to do a certain work. Like me, get up and preach and teach and care for those who are in need or whatever, make counseling, things like that. Like that's what a minister does. You minister to people. No. Paul says we are all ministers. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. This idea of God reconciling the world to himself through his son, that he would give his own son in place for those who do not deserve it, 
He would go to the cross. He would die for them so that they would, so that the punishment for their sin, for their brokenness would be laid on Christ. His righteousness would be extended to them so that God might reconcile himself. Uh, broken people would be made holy by him so that a holy God might be reconciled to now a holy people. We're ministers of that, right? We're ministers of that. And it's precious. This is a precious thing. It says, it says it this way, Paul says, entrusting to us the, the message of reconciliation. It's a valuable and a precious work. It's been entrusted to you. It's not something that's just been given to you flippantly. It's something that's been entrusted to you. One day we will stand before God and we will give an account for something that he has entrusted to us. I've said this so many times here at Flourishing Grace, and I'll say it so many more. The parable, um, the parable of the talents is not about money. It is not about money. It is not about money. In fact, anytime somebody preaches on the parable of talents and relates it to money, friends, they are trying to get your money, okay? That's for free, all right? That's, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but just keep that in mind. Man, who, who often preaches on the parable of talents and relates it to, to me and my money? Think about that for a minute, okay? That's, don't, well, don't worry about it. We're moving on. We're moving on. Um, it's not about money. Right? Parables are not about the things that they're talking about. The parable of the mustard seed is not about how to make mustard. Okay? It's just not. Um, the parable of the lost coin is not about how to find lost coins. It's not, it's not about that at all. Right? They're, they're not about the things that, that are being described. It's not what parables are. The parable of the talents is about God entrusting something to us that's not money, something else. And how we invest it. How do we invest it? You've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. You've been entrusted with it. And one day we'll stand before him and we'll give an account for that. And lastly, number three, God is making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. This is not, this is not me making my appeal. We are, we are not even making his appeal. He, the Lord of the harvest, is making his appeal through us right? He is doing the work. We'll talk more about this later. He is the one doing literally almost everything in this. He is the one carrying the weight. He, it's his appeal, and he is making that appeal through us. It's his work. He's the Lord of the harvest. We are simply the laborers, the workers. We are go, it's time for us to go to work, I love how J.I. Packer in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, puts it. He says, the preacher should work, there's that word, to convert his congregation. The wife should work to save her unbelieving husband. Christians are sent to convert, and they should not allow themselves as Christ's representatives in the world to aim at anything less. Don't aim at anything less. Evangelizing, therefore, is not simply a matter of teaching or instructing. It is imparting or imparting information to the mind. There, there is more to it than that. Evangelizing includes the endeavor to elicit a response to the truth taught. We must call the world to response. Our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, what we're doing here is not just teaching. It's not just saying, here's the facts, here's the truth. Here's what I believe. No, it's like, you need to make a decision. Do you believe this or not? You do not have to believe in Jesus. 
You don't have to. No, no one is saying that. No, no one is saying you have to believe in Jesus. I would love for you to believe in Jesus, but no, you don't have to. But you must choose. You must choose. Yes, I will believe in him, and I will surrender my life, and I'll follow after him with all that I am. Or no, I will not. You don't have to believe in him. But we must call the world to a response to choose. What will you choose? That is the work of the laboring that we've been called into. Leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus is all about the ministry of reconciliation. It is what we are called to do. Now, what is required of laborers? What does this work require of us? There's a word that pops up again and again and again whenever Jesus talks about this idea of laboring. Whenever Jesus calls us uh, and gives us the ministry of reconciliation, there's a word that comes up again and again and again. It's the word go. Go. Here in Luke 10, 3, he says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out. This idea of moving out, going. More famously, in the Great Commission, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, And Jesus came to them, to the disciples. He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, there's the word, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And and behold, I am always with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. The work of God invites us into the work of going, right? This is kind of symbolic in a lot of ways. It's not, I don't think Jesus means it fully symbolically, but it's, it is symbolic, this idea of releasing our grasp on the things of this world, surrendering our lives and saying, I mean, I surrender my life to Jesus. And so therefore I will go, I will leave my comfort, I will leave my my security, I will leave my, um, my friendships behind. Not, not friendship, but I'm saying I'll leave the, the chance of those friendships being ruined. I will, I will leave it. I will release my grasp on my security, my hopes, my dreams, and I will engage in this ministry of reconciliation. I will become a laborer. I'll go. The work of God invites us into the work of making disciples. Jesus didn't launch programs or fancy strategies or giving campaigns. No, he, he reached men and women who he sent out to reach men and women who sent out people to reach men and women who reached men and women who reached men and women. And now here you and I are. That's his plan. He's never given up on that plan. It's still his plan that you would become ministers of reconciliation, that you would become laborers, and that the people that you reach would also become laborers as well. The work of God invites us into baptizing Right, this marking off, this symbolic marking off of those who have been who've been buried with Christ and risen from the dead, who were once dead and now been made alive in Christ. The work of God invites us into the work of teaching allegiance to Christ, right? Teaching them to observe everything that He has commanded them. When Jesus came to earth, He He kind of He taught this new kingdom ethic. A year ago, we were sitting in the Sermon on the Mount, so we preached through a year ago, right? This new way of living that Jesus has given us. Right? So not, not, only, not only do we tell people that they need to be reconciled to God, but as you become reconciled to God, there's a new way to live. There's a new way that Jesus has given us to live out our lives, the remainder of our days here on earth, so that our days here on earth will match those days of heaven, this new kingdom ethic. How do we live as Christ as our king, as servants to him, as his people? What does it look like? It looks different than the rest of the world. 
The call of Christ, the call of laboring, is to teach people, teach people how to live in that way. God does this through us. He does this through us by, by shaping us and molding us through the Spirit, by making us more like Jesus. People see the way that we live, and they respond to that. And he does it by speaking through us and calling the world to himself, calling them to a response. Now, I've said this again and again and again and again, and I will continue to preach it here at Flourishing Grace. For those of you who uh, moved to Utah, which is most of you in the room, um, you came here for uh, probably a job, right? That's why most people come, come to Utah. Uh, I remember when I first moved here, well, actually before we moved here, but when I came in to interview for this job, we flew in Salt Lake City Airport. I remember my face being like plastered to the window. Like, this is the most amazing place. Like you look out the window of the airplane and it is insane. It's so beautiful. It's incredible. It's genuinely incredible. If you love to be outside, there is no better place in the United States of America than to be in Utah, right? You have, you have all that, like, you have, you have the culture, the good food, the entertainment of the city, while at the same time, you have the beauty and the wonder of the mountains. Like, there's infinite things to do, right? You can, today, you could go skiing, and you could play golf in the afternoon. That's insane. You could go skiing, or you could go to a lagoon for the rest of the day. It's incredible. Like, that's what I'm talking about. This place is amazing, so much hiking and climbing and mountain biking. There's fishing, all the kind of, everything. If you want to be outside, and yet you still kind of like the comforts of the city, no better place. Like, Denver doesn't offer you that. It doesn't. They, they try to, but it's a, law, it's a lie, all right? It's just all a lie. If you, like, if you like the comforts of the city and you, like, drive five hours to get to the mountains, Denver, okay? Listen, this is an amazing place. But then you live here long enough, after about a year or two, you begin to realize, it's kind of weird too. And for those of you who have lived here your whole life, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, you know it's true, right? If you've ever, if you've never left Utah, then you, maybe you don't know it's true, okay? You got to get out more. It's a weird place. There's some strange things, right? Costco doesn't sell alcohol, but they do have a conservative women's swimwear section. That's not true anywhere else in the United States of America, other than Costco and Bountiful, Utah. It's strange. It's a little weird. It's a little, a little different. And at, the more you explore, the more you realize that there are some things that might make you even uncomfortable. That there might be people around you that don't, that don't uh, befriend you, or maybe they have first befriended you, but then later they just kind of don't want to hang out with you anymore. And maybe they don't let your kids play with your kids. Like, there's certain things about the culture here that begins to, like, rub on you a little bit. And what I've seen again and again and again is like people come for two, three, four years tops, and then they're kind of like, man, I just want to be closer to my family. I want to move back home. I want to be back where my friends were. I, I, it's some, I just don't want to be here anymore. This place is weird. And I'll grant you all of those things. All of that is true. But I would argue, friends, the call on your life, the call of your life, might be to stay there for rather than to go there for. Utah is the least Christian state in the United States of America. A lot of my friends who are church planners, they would like to go to New England, right? They say New England is the least reached area in the United States. In fact, New Hampshire likes to claim that title. They say, well, we are, we are, the, we are the least reached state in the United States of America. Because if you look at the polls, right, if you look at Gallup, Gallup says, okay, what's the least religious state in the United States of America? Well, New Hampshire wins, they do. Least religious state 
If you look at the most religious state, well, guess what? Utah wins. We are the most religious state in the United States of America. But if you look at what state is the, the most Protestant state, the least Protestant state in the United States of America, the least evangelical Protestant state in the United States of America is Utah. New Hampshire barely makes the top 10. They're number 10. It just, just squeaked in there, but barely. Like, so don't, don't listen to those church planners going out east. They don't know anything. Um, just kidding. We love them. We fund them. We support them. Utah is the, Utah is the, is the least street state in the United States of America. More people per capita attend church uh, in, in Utah than, sorry. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's a stat that I can't understand. I'm skipping it. Utah County is the, is the most religious metro area in the United States of America. Most, most religious metro area. In Davis County, on an average Sunday in Davis County, 0.005% of the population attends a healthy evangelical Christian church. That's half of a half of a half of a percent. When I was in Chicago, our goal as a church, uh, the goal that they set forth was 1% of the city. We want to reach 1% of the city. We want to see 1% of the city uh, become followers of Jesus. That would be amazing. It would be amazing. Here, if we made it to half of a percent of Davis County, that would be incredible. The average, on an average Sunday, half of a half of a half of a percent is attending an evangelical Protestant church. Less than 3% of the state attends an evangelical church on Sunday. And in Davis County, it is half of a half of a half of a percent. The average stay for, an, for a pastor, a Protestant pastor in Utah, is less than one year. Less than one year. In my first four years in Utah, I saw four uh, church plants come and go just in Davis County alone. Just in Davis County alone, four. Four church planters come and go. And since that time, I haven't seen any come. Or go. I haven't seen any. People, they've just given up. They're like, nah, it's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. Friends, if you, if you want to consider international missions, if you feel like the call on your life is Iran or China or Afghanistan, let's talk. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. Yes, go, therefore. There are many places in the world that are less reached than Davis County, but... But if you're going to move to take a job in another state, to be closer to friends and family, I would challenge you to reconsider. Where does your allegiance lie? Who is your king? Who have you surrendered your life to? Does comfort sit on your throne? Does financial gain sit on the throne? Or does the king of kings sit on the throne? I would argue the call of your life may be to stay there for Stay there for. We're desperate for laborers. And I believe he has you here for a reason. And one day we'll stand before him. We'll stand before the king of kings. We'll stand before the Lord of the harvest. And we'll give an account. What will you say? I lived in Utah for a couple of years. It's not going to go over well. What will we say? What would it look like if we stay there for? We give our lives to the ministry of reconciliation in our neighborhoods, in our places of work. We fix our gaze on the mission set before us. Say, this is, gonna, this is what I'm going to spend the rest of my life on. 
Psalm 90. This idea teaches the number of days. We have very few of them. I don't want to waste another one. This is where he has me. I'm going to plant my roots here, and I'm going to go hard after the call of Christ on my life. Friends, when my best friend went to the cross, he fixed his gaze on the mission set before him. He fixed his gaze on you. He says, I will endure for you. Let us not take our gaze off of him. Let us remind ourselves who our king is. Let us surrender our lives to him. Lastly, quickly, he sends us out. He sends out the 72. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as lamb among wolves. As lambs among wolves. Friends, this is not glamorous. Jesus promises many things. Lives of abundance and flourishing and delight and joy and gladness and happiness. All these things are promised in Christ. All these things are true in Christ. Comfort? No. It's not promised. Sending you out as lambs among wolves. So often I meet people who talk and say, I'm just afraid. I don't know what will happen at my place of work. If I share my faith, I might lose my job. In my neighborhood, my neighbors might not like me anymore. They might not invite me to the parties. They might not invite me to the things that are going on at their house. Friends, you are as lambs among wolves. What do you expect? What do you expect? But don't forget who your shepherd is. You see, I said earlier that you, you moved to Utah because of a job, but that's not true. You didn't come here because of a job. You, became, you came here because there's a sovereign God who is sovereign over all things, who has brought you right where he has brought you and has you right where he has you. He has you in that place of work. He has you in that neighborhood that you are in for a reason, for a purpose, his reason, his purpose. He is constantly at work. He's constantly at work. He's constantly at work. He's inviting us to join into that work. To join into that work. No, it's not happenstance, it's not chance. Don't squander it. Yes, lambs among wolves. But we have a great shepherd who is sovereign over all things and will protect us at all costs. I'm not, I'm not calling you to be foolish. I'm calling you to be faithful. To not be fearful. To know that you have a good shepherd who will care for you. Lastly, I want, you to, I want you to see what happens to the 72. Uh, in the very last part of this section, right, the 72 return. It's kind of this amazing, this amazing thing. They, they come back to Jesus, and they're fired up. They're excited about it, what, what they've seen happen. Like, this was, this was, not, this was not a bummer of an, of an effort. Or they come back, and they're excited. Here's what it says in Luke 10, verse 17 through 20. The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's crazy. That's crazy. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. This is nuts, okay? It's crazy. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written heaven. A couple years ago, we, we had this massive tree in our front yard. Uh, it actually blew over in the windstorm uh, last year. It's crazy. Um, and it was dying out. It had all these uh, vines on it that were all dead, these massive big vines that hadn't been cleared in, I don't know, I, mean, I don't have any idea how many decades these vines have been growing on this tree. And um, we had somebody come out 
um, and give us a bid on taking those vines down. And I was like, well, I could do that, which was not a good idea. Um, and so one day I got the ladder out and I climbed up in this tree and I'm like way up in there and I'm like shaking these massive, like massive vines out and they're, they're crashing to the ground, just all over the ground. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, I'm getting cut up, I'm all bloody, I'm just like, this is, this is nuts. And I'm, I'm pulling these vines down, and all of a sudden I hear this noise down below, and I look down, and there's Winston at the time, he's, he's like five years old, and he's like pulling off like little tiny, like little sticks from the tree. Mean, meanwhile, like shrapnel's like raining down on him. I'm like, what are you doing, man? What, get out of here. And uh, the tr- truth is, I-, I could have said, Dude, what, what are you doing? Like, do you not see, like, these massive, massive, massive vines that I'm ripping off of this tree? And you're down there, like, pulling off, like, little twigs and stuff that aren't even, aren't, it's not even important. Like, what you're doing is meaningless right now. It's, it's meaningless work that, is, that you are endeavoring to do. Come down, put them in the house, say, stay inside. Let me, let me do the real work, okay, kid? But I, that's not what happened. I came down, and he, uh, he helped me. We, we picked up all the vines. We put them in the, the dumpster together and collected them all up. And I delighted in having my little boy out there helping me do, do this work. And what I, what I love about the end of this text, and uh, the 72 come back, and all the things that they describe are things that they clearly didn't do, okay? Like, no, no you, you didn't cast out demons. Like, I know that you say you cast out demons, but let's think about who really did that. Like, was that was that really you, or did God do that through you? Right? He didn't heal the sick, did you? Like, did you really heal the sick, or did God do that through you? Jesus, I mean, I saw I saw Satan fall like lightning from. Did did they do that, or did God do? Yeah, I think that was the work of God, not not them. Jesus doesn't say, God, "You guys, so pathetic. The work that you did, the work that what you've been doing." Like, you, I, you, you think you can take credit for all that? Like, I'm the one doing all the real work. I'm the one doing the heavy lifting. I'm going to the cross. Yeah, you're not going to do that. He doesn't say that, though. He rejoices with them. He's like, I know. It's amazing. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I'm going to give you power. You can walk on scorpions. It's incredible. Right? He rejoices with them in this moment. But then he says this, kind of in this nurturing moment. He says, but remember, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. That's the true joy. Rejoice more than any of that. Remember this. Rejoice that I love you. Rejoice that somebody labored in your life in order to lead you to him. Somebody, somebody rejoiced in Jesus so much that that they relinquished their grasp on the things of this world and said, man, I want to labor. I want to endeavor. And they labored in your life. They were a minister of reconciliation to you. They shared their faith with you. And God used them to lead you to himself, to reconcile him to you. And now he's calling you to do the same. Friends, this is the work of God, and this is the work that he invites us into. If you want the the work of your hands to be established, we join him in his work. Join him in his work. And so who is that person? This is what we've been praying over the past few weeks. Father, would you, would, you, would you show me whose life you are working on? Where are you working? Where are you at work? Whose life are you working on? 
I know that there's somebody in my place of work or somebody in my neighborhood, there's somebody in my life, somebody that I see regularly that you are already at work on. You're already doing a work there. Would you invite me into that work? Would you invite me into that work? Who is that person? Who is that one for you? Here's what I want us to do. If you just bow your heads with me for a moment. I want us to pray that prayer again. I know we prayed it for the past three weeks in a row. But to just pray that prayer, Father, show me who you're working on. So often we want, we want to be the person that we love the most, be the person that we care about the most. And I'm not saying don't pray about that person. I'm saying just like, surrender yourself to God for a moment and say, show me who you are working in. What neighbor, what friend, what coworker, what family member, who are you working in? Where might you be inviting me into your work? Over here on this wall, we have praying for one. And the concept is this, that every single day we would pray for one. We'd pray, Father, would you give me one person today to share your love with? This is like one random person. Maybe somebody at your office. Maybe it's just like a barista at Starbucks. Maybe it's a waiter at a restaurant. Maybe it's somebody you bump into on the street. Just one person to share your love with today. And would you, would you give me an opportunity to share your love with this one? There's one person in my life that I know you're calling me to. I know you're calling me to invest in their life. Would you... Would you would you lead them to yourself and would you use me? Would you use me in their life today? Would you equip me as a laborer in their life? For some of you, as we've prayed that prayer, you know who that person is. That name has become crystal clear to you. This is the person that I see regularly, at least once a month. I see them once a month. They're local. They're here. I see them regularly. And this is the person that I know that God is calling and laying on my life. This week, I've talked to several people actually who... Uh, as we prayed that prayer last Sunday, they said it was crazy. This is multiple, multiple people have come to me this week and said this. It's crazy. Out of the blue, this person reached out to me that I haven't seen in years. And I wonder, I wonder if God is saying this is, this is the one. Like, you're wondering? What do you mean you're wondering? God is faithful to us. For some of you, you know who that person is. Brett's going to play one more song for us. We're going we're gonna to sing over each other. Uh, and I want to encourage you, if you know who that person is, during this last song, you can get up, you can walk over, and you can write their name on the wall. Our staff team, we erased all the names this week. We're starting fresh today. If you know who that person is, you say, man, I know who my one is. I, I know who God's calling me to, to commit to pray for every day. This is a commitment. We're committing before each other this morning. I'm going to pray for this person every single day. I'm going to create opportunities to engage in their life. I'm going to endeavor to be a laborer in their life. If you know who that person is, I'm going to invite you to write their name up on that wall. For the rest of us, maybe we seem to sit in that for a minute. Just continue to pray that prayer. Father, would you show me? Who are you working on? Where are you calling me to invest the ministry of reconciliation that you have given me? Would you open my eyes? Would you show me that I might faithfully follow after you as a minister of reconciliation? Jesus, would you lead us? Would you show us? 
Would you help us to be obedient to you? Would you create within us a desire to follow after you? Would we be people who, could, who, who respond to the, to the command to stay there for? Stay there for? Would we, would we make this home? So I'm going to give the rest of my days to laboring the harvest in Utah. And this one, this one that you've laid on my heart, they're mine. I commit to praying for them every day. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to share your love with them. Be a minister of reconciliation to them. Would you give that to us? Would you open our eyes? Help us to see. Show us where you're working and establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Praise things in your name.